Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the second episode of the Amateur Update. I'm your host, Monty Taylor. For those of you just joining me, this is a brand new show from Half Street High Heat where we're going to be talking college baseball, amateur prospects for the MLB draft, and maybe even some minor league baseball. Today we're going to do a brief recap of the midweek games. We're going to talk about some top potential prospects for 2023 if your team's tanking, and then we're going to preview this weekend's big college matchups. Now, the Amateur Update is just one of four new shows debuting for Half Street High Heat on Patreon. This week's episodes are free, but starting next week, they're going to go up on on Patreon. You can sign up now by visiting the Half Street High Heat Twitter page at Half Street High Heat and clicking the link in the pinned tweet. If you follow the instructions on that tweet, you will be entered in a giveaway for some new Nationals Cherry Blossom merch. It's going to be $3 for one show, $10 for all shows, and we also have added another tier for $5 where you can pair up two of the shows. I believe we've got the gambling show and the fantasy baseball show as a $5 tier, and then my show with Pitch Perfect, which will be uh, we'll talk about a little bit later, Allison and Amanda. Our shows will be paired together, and you can get that for $5, but I highly recommend the $10 tier where you will get all the shows. We're going to start the show off with a fantastic trivia question, as always. And I, it's going to be interesting to see how well I handle coming up with trivia questions because I was starting to make the notes for this episode a couple days ago and I couldn't think of a trivia question. And then it came to me last night and I've got it. All right. Just hits me. And then I'm, then I'm wide awake for several hours. The insomnia hits me. But the trivia question is. This pair of Georgia Tech Yellow Jacket teammates played for both a NCAA national championship, made multiple MLB All-Star games, and received World Series rings from the same championship team. Who are they? We'll get the answer at the end of the show, so I'm going to let you guys ponder that question. I know uh, Nick loves trivia, and when he, uh, he, he edits this, and when he does that, it's going to be I'm always curious to see if he knows the answer. And he actually did get the answer to the first one, right? Which was uh, Buster Posey last week. The uh, question was, which Florida State player played in all nine game position, uh, nine positions in one game? The answer was Buster Posey. He wasn't sure it was stumping him. I gave him a little clue. I said, it's a re- think recently retired. He got the answer. I want to hopefully y'all did pretty well as well. We're going to start off with a midweek review. One, the first thing I want to talk about, normally uh, Lipscomb at number Tennessee at number one Tennessee wouldn't garner much attention, especially as Tennessee got a routine five to one win at home. They are now twenty eight and one, but the number one team in the country, 
just got better. Their ace, Blade Tidwell, I talked about it last week or uh, earlier this week on the show that he was supposed to appear in uh, the games against Vanderbilt this past weekend. And I thought that he'd probably appear in the this weekend's games, which he still could. Uh, but he started on Tuesday against Lipscomb. And he was pretty fantastic. Now, he only, he only had two innings of work, four strikeouts, one hit, no earned runs. And, I mean, just coming right out of the gate. Now, first of all, I had to watch this on uh, SEC Network Plus or whatever the, the channel is called. And the view was terrible. All they had was a view from, like, the press box. So it wasn't an ideal view for uh, watching some pitching. Uh, but first three pitches, three big-time strikes, strikeout. He looked ready to go from the get-go, and that's going to be a big boost that the nation's number one pitching team is getting their ace, who is a first-round talent, back into their rotation. Now, it's probably going to take some time to build up his arm strength, but once he does, it's going to bring up a very interesting conversation for Tennessee, and one of those things that's really good because you've had two freshmen in Chase Burns, the Friday night starter, and Drew Beam, the Sunday starter, both those guys have exceeded expectations. And then, of course, the Saturday starter, Chase Dollander, he's a sophomore. Uh, he has been fantastic as well. So you got those three guys. And it's – Drew Beam would seemingly be the, the odd man out. However, he's been the best pitcher for him, and he just – he's coming off a complete game shutout over Vanderbilt. He's got a .88 ERA. I believe I talked about it earlier this week. And – it's it's a tough it's a tough situation because they lead the nation in ERA uh, and I believe hitters are hitting just .098 against Drew Beam. So you're asking yourself, how do you take out Drew Beam, Chase Dollander, or Chase Burns to to put in Blade Tidwell? And that's a question I do not know the answer to, but it's a good one because as they get his arm ready to roll, he's going to be up to full strength by the time postseason comes around. And all of a sudden you've got four dominant starters um, that are able to come in in any situation. And that doesn't even include a reliever they've got named Ben Joyce, who is shooting up the draft boards. He is now in the top 200. He came in right after Tidwell. I feel so bad for Lipscomb because he comes in right after Tidwell and he throws 103 plus consistently and he had two dominant innings. So poor Lipscomb had to face a first round talent in blade Tidwell in the first and second inning. And then they had to face Ben Joyce throwing 103, 104, 105 in the third and fourth on a Tuesday night. That's just, that's just brutal. Uh, I did see somebody on Twitter. They when, when I posted about Ben Joyce, they were mentioning that he's he's looking for Tommy John surgery. He's asking for it, uh, as in like you know he throws that hard. He's going to need Tommy John surgery. I checked. He had Tommy John surgery in 2020. That's why he missed all of last season. That's why he's kind of come out of the woodwork all of a sudden because he missed all of last year. So he's already had that Tommy John surgery. He could need it again, you know, seven years down the road or so. But right now. That arm is strong, and he is shooting up the draft board. So Tennessee pitching, and again, we didn't even talk about their closer, so that's just five guys right there that are unbelievable as the number one team in the nation gets better. 
Uh, the other good thing that we saw uh, that I saw Jordan Beck in the first inning, he just missed another Homer. Uh, it hit the wall on a line stand up triple. He comes in to score on the next AB in the first inning. Tennessee never looked back easy five, one win over Lipscomb and Lipscomb is not the worst team. They have beaten Louisville this year. I believe they beat Tennessee in this game last year. So you may not have heard of Lipscomb, but they're not the worst uh, mid-major out there. So big win for Tennessee, 28-1 and one ahead of their series with Missouri this weekend. Georgia and Clemson was a big matchup on Tuesday night. Uh, Georgia was coming off a sweep of Florida, and Clemson has been 4-9 and nine in their last 13 coming into this game after starting the season 14-0. They're currently 2-6 and six in the ACC ahead of a huge trip to number 13 Notre Dame this weekend, and they needed a win here uh, to get their confidence back. I mean, 4-9 and nine is not a great stretch. And on the other hand, Georgia may have swept Florida, but they've lost their number three starter in Dylan Ross and their number four starter in Will Childress for the season. So they're battling some adversity as well as their pitching staff is getting thinner and thinner. And this is not great in the SEC. And then, of course, the postseason when teams need four good starters to be able to depend on and get some W's. So Hank Bearden had to make his second start of the year for Georgia. And uh, let's just say it did not go well. Uh, he did get the first out, but then left uh, Clemson left fielder Cooper Ingle and their second baseman, Blake Wright. They went back-to-back jacks with one out in the first to make it 2-1. And then Clemson never looked back. They did load the bases in the first inning on Hank Bearden, and he was able to get out of the inning, but that was the end of his day. He had one inning, gave up the two home runs, walked three. That was his day. So we'll see if he gets another chance. Likely he will in the midweek games. But Clemson never looked back. Blake Wright again, he doubled in the third and came in to score on a pass ball later in the inning. And then Max Wagner, homered in the sixth for Clemson to make it 4-1. And the pitching just took over from there. Georgia would fight back. They'd get a Harbor two-run blast in the seventh, but not any. they couldn't get anywhere close in the eighth or the ninth. Clemson shut the door 4-3. Big win for Clemson. They needed it uh, heading into that big series with Notre Dame this weekend. Billy Barlow, midweek starter for them. He was pretty good. Five innings, one earned run. And, of course, we talked Hank Bearden and the Georgia pitching staff had to use a lot of pitchers in this game. Luckily, they had enough time to rest from Tuesday into the weekend. So Georgia at Clemson. Clemson holds on 4-3 victory. Hopefully they're feeling confident heading into South Bend, Indiana this weekend. Now, this, again, would not have been a series that got a lot of attention. Texas Tech heading to Grand Canyon. They played Tuesday and Wednesday night in Arizona. And Grand Canyon has had some signature wins this year. Uh, they beat <laughs> they beat Arizona 19-3 to earlier in the year, and they won 13-7 to in a series over Oregon State. And they've – so they are not bad. They're probably going to win the WAC and be in the postseason. They should be unless something happens in their conference tournament that prevents them from getting the automatic bid. But I expect them to be in the postseason. 
Now, Texas Tech was coming off uh, a series win and riding high uh, after another series win before that against uh, Texas. And things did not go well for them in game one. They did get an immediate walk-off, or excuse me, lead-off home run from Easton uh, Easton Morrell. And that was about the highlight for them in the first game. They had a lot of trouble driving in runners and scoring positions in both games. They dropped both games. I mean, it was just a dominant performance from Grand Canyon. I don't think Texas Tech was particularly bad. They just weren't clutch with runners in scoring position. And Grand Canyon was. Their pitching was outstanding. Uh, I think in the second game they had a ton of strikeouts. So Texas Tech dropped two games midweek. They've got uh, to go on the road to Kansas State this weekend. Kansas State 15 and 13, Texas Tech 24 and 7 now. Maybe 24 and 8. <clears throat> Excuse me. 24 and 8. So it's pretty clear that we've got the top three teams in the country in Tennessee, Arkansas, and Virginia. Trying to figure out who the four and five and six teams are is getting tougher and tougher every week. Seems like we've got a new one week in, week out. Oregon State looked poised to take it, then they drop a series at home to Stanford. Texas Tech is there. They drop a series to Grand Canyon middle of the week. Oklahoma State's been up and down, so who knows after you get past those three teams. But real quick, I want to talk about Jace Young. Earlier in the week, we did a segment on the top five MLB draft picks for 2022. And I mentioned the Nationals at number five might be interested in taking Jace Young. And I actually advocated quite vehemently that they should take him at five if they don't want to work on a project like Elijah Green. So Jace Young watched him in the first game. He was outstanding, to be honest, in the first game. He was three for four with a home run, a double, a walk, no case. I mean, his first A-B, he takes a sharp 0-1 fastball and just a sharp single, beats the shift past the second baseman. So he beats the shift, gets on base. It was, it was hard hit. It was smoked. Second at bat, smokes a double off the right center field wall on a 3-1 count. And I'm saying it's missed a home run by about probably a foot or two. And it, it was just laced. Third out bat, he's down 1-2 in the count, and he works a walk. So outstanding performance from him. And then the second game, Starts off okay. He's one for one with a walk to start that game. Then the third at bat, one out in the fifth, takes a 2-2 count and scolds a ball right up the middle, but it's right into the shift. So it was just to the right of second base. And if the defense is in a normal alignment, it's going to be a base knock, uh, but absolutely smoked. And then after that, he struggles. He ends up finishing one for four. He had a strikeout, but he also had an error. 
and uh, Grand Canyon holds on to win that game eight seven. They were up eight to two uh, before Texas Tech scored five runs in the ninth. Four of them were unearned. That made the score a little bit more respectful to make it eight seven. But Grand Canyon looking really good, getting two more signature wins. They head to Stanford, I believe, at some point for another chance to signature win, depending on how Stanford plays, because we know Stanford's been kind of eh, and we'll get a little bit more into them in a little bit. But not not great for them. So not, a, not an ideal performance. So these were the games I watched. Uh, Texas Tech at Grand Canyon, uh, te- uh, Lipscomb at Tennessee, Georgia at Clemson. Uh, the Tuesday night games. Of course, I watched Texas Tech and Grand Canyon again on Wednesday. And then my main game on Wednesday was the University of Virginia hosting Liberty. Liberty was number 12 at one point in the poll just a couple weeks ago before they had a couple conference losses. And the whole time they're talking about how this is going to be a close game. Virginia's going to need to play small ball. And Two-one count, bottom of the fifth. Uh, Griff O'Farrell, the first year, he gets a two-strike single. And it's 2-1 Virginia. And O'Farrell's on first. And, and and Liberty decides to go to the pen. They're going to their best reliever. Uh, the name is just missing for me right now. But he had a 7.76 ERA, 44 Ks to just one walk. Uh, he had a cutter slider combo that was just extremely difficult to make contact with. So you have O'Farrell on, on first with two strike single games, two, one. It looks like it's going to be a two, one, three, two, four, three kind of game. Kyle Teal comes in, works a hard earned walk, worked it to three, two, had to foul off some pitches. He goes to first O'Farrell to second Devin Ortiz who started the game at pitcher for the, for the Cavaliers. He tries to get a bunt down, fails to get the bunt down. There's two strikes on him. Line drive on a rope to right. That'll load the bases. Still no outs against this best reliever, one of the best in the country, which brings up the home run leader in Jake Geloff. He quickly goes down 0-2, swinging out of his shoes. Then he singles through the hole, the third base hole to left, scoring O'Farrell and Teal, which, by the way, were his RBIs, 52 and 53. He leads the country. Tapping ground out uh, in a fielder's choice to second, which results in Geloff being out. So there's runners on the corner, no outs. This reliever's still in. Chris Newell comes in, squeeze bunt. Shout out Nick, who loves the squeeze bunt. Ortiz scores, and Newell's safe at first. He would have been safe, but the throw gets away. He doesn't get the chance to advance to second. And that is pretty much it for their reliever. Saki then comes in. He gets out. Then Ethan Anderson walks to load the bases before Codier finally ends the inning with a fielder's choice grounder to second base. But very quickly... Virginia's gone from two to one. They're facing the best reliever in Liberty has and one of the top relievers in the country. And they're able to just get wins in any sort of way they can. So they end up holding on to win eight to two. All nine Virginia batters had a hit. 
And of course, we talked about Geloff. But one of the things I want to talk about Virginia is I've been following the UVA baseball for 15, 16 years since the days of Sean Doolittle, ACC Player of the Year in 2006. And this is the best UVA team I think I've ever seen. It's the best UVA lineup for sure. Uh, they can beat you any type of way. They, their identity in the past has always been small ball and pitching depth. And they can beat you with the small ball still, but they can beat you with the long ball. They've got 47 home runs on the year. They run rampant on the base pass. Griff O'Farrell in particular, I think has 13. Uh, I think he's 13 of 14 stealing. But they can also string hits and walks together like I just described and get hits with two strikes, two outs, whatever they need to do. And that's just brutal on opposing pitching. And it's just a real joy to watch. And it also gives me a lot of confidence in a team that I was not super confident in to begin the year after some of the players we lost. And, you know, I thought we were a top 25 team, but I didn't think we were the number three team in the nation. We might be the number two team in the nation. It's hard to say. Arkansas is very good. But the fact that they can beat you any different way and have that confidence, and and they're very young too, because the other thing, of these, uh, uh, of their lineup, you've got O'Farrell leading off. He's a freshman. Kyle Teal batting second, sophomore. Batting fourth, the home run leader, Jake Geloff. He's a sophomore. Batting seventh, Salki. He's a freshman. Batting eighth, Anderson. He's a freshman. Batting ninth, Codier, who's likely to return. He's a junior. He's likely to return for a senior year. But then we've also got Adam Rubin and, uh, Tufts on the bench. They're both freshmen. They both contributed big time for the Virginia Cavaliers this year. And then the pitching staff, you've got Jake Berry, who's emerging as a starter. And then Jay Wolfuk, the backup quarterback for the football team. He's been one of the most reliable relievers. He's been massive. And then uh, Buchanan, who's been both a uh, midweek starter and a reliever. He's been outstanding. He's a freshman. And I'm saying freshmen just for you guys out there at UVA, they call them first years, second years, third years, but I'm going to use the more common vernacular for the purposes of this podcast. So that's huge. We'll talk more about UVA when we get to the weekend uh, previews in a little bit. The last thing I want to talk about, St. Mary's. They dominated Stanford 8-1 to one, uh, on Tuesday. Typical Stanford, they take a step forward with a series win at Oregon State last weekend, only to get dominated by St. Mary's in the midweek game. I still don't know what to make of the Cardinal. They have a pretty favorable Pac-12 schedule the rest of the way, so I guess we'll find out. Arizona, number 11 team in the country. They lost 10-6 at Arizona State Tuesday, but then everybody else took care of business in the top 25. Number 24, Dallas Baptist beat Baylor 11-6. Number 19, LSU beat Grambling 16-3 to with homers by Dylan Cruz. And, of course, Jacob Berry, who was another one of those prospects we talked about that the Nationals could take at number five in this year's draft. Oregon State rebounded after their loss to Stanford, series loss to Stanford. They beat Portland 5-1. to UCLA, after sweeping Oregon last weekend, they barely survived LMU 5-4 to in 11 innings. Number 17, Gonzaga dominated Washington State 12-0. And then, of course, number eight, Miami. Number six, Oklahoma State. And number 13, Notre Dame all scored five runs and won their games. 
and then Texas, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, TCU, all won big in the Tuesday night. Uh, Louisville and Kentucky was postponed. South Carolina and North Carolina ended up playing Wednesday night. South Carolina won that game big, 15-2. to two. We'll talk about a little bit more about UNC and their problems coming up on the weekend preview. But first, let's get to our next segment. We're going to talk about, a little bit about some of the top 2023 prospects. It's a little tricky to talk about these guys because there's going to be some high schoolers, I'm sure, that emerge playing uh, their junior years this spring uh, ongoing right now. So it's hard to talk too much about them, but we've got a pretty good idea of some of the college guys that are going to be up there. And right now the number one prospect is LSU's Dylan Cruz, center fielder. Great swing, mashes the ball. Uh, Ole Miss shortstop, Jacob Gonzalez. The two high schoolers that I've got on my list that could be top five as of right now is an outfielder from Franklin Community named Max Clark and Walker Jenkins, an outfielder from South Brunswick. Beyond that, you've got, you know, Brock Wilkin, the third baseman at Wake Forest. He's got a lot of pop. I believe he's got something like 12 home runs this year. Enrique Bradfield Jr., I talked about him earlier in the week. By the way, I listened back to that episode and realized that I said Bradford. His name is Enrique Bradfield. He's the outfielder for Vanderbilt. He's got a lot of speed. He could be up there in the top five. And then the college pitching class is going to be loaded. And this year's pitching class was also supposed to be loaded, but we know with all the injuries that happened. But you've got Christian Little and Patrick Riley at Vanderbilt. You've got Jackson Wiggins at Arkansas. Will Sanders, uh, Tanner Witt should be the number one college prospect, but as you all know, he went down with Tommy John surgery at the beginning of March. So a lot of guys to look forward to. I'll be printing out a, uh, a blog post in the next couple of weeks, highlighting some of these 2023 prospects. So if you're a fan of the nationals or the Orioles or the pirates or the athletics, or the Dimebacks, teams that are looking like they're going to tank and be, you know, top five picks for a couple of years to come, especially next year. If you're thinking about teams that are tanking, look no further than uh, this podcast and the Half Street High Heat blog, where I will be putting out a little bit more in-depth scouting report on these guys. But just something wanted to talk about. I've watched Dylan Cruz a bunch. He's a blast to watch. Right now, the two big prospects for this year's draft that everyone's talking about in the LSU lineup are Kate Dowdy and Jacob Berry, but Dylan Cruz is an absolute stud, and the lineup really revolves around him. Plus, if you get him, whenever he hits a home run, you can use the you know the cool pun Cruz missile, so which Nationals fans can do already with Nelson Cruz. But I love LSU's social media team. Every time he hits a home run, they talk about Cruz missiles flying. And I'm a sucker for puns, so that always gets me excited. Uh, Vanderbilt's Christian Little, Patrick Riley, uh, both of them aren't starting consistently. Um, Vanderbilt's still trying to figure out, I think, their pitching staff a little bit, but those guys are supposed to be top 10 picks. But I really like Enrique Bradfield. I talked about him earlier in the week, and when he got on base against Tennessee, his base running instincts are just absolutely phenomenal. He's a five-tool player that can play center field, 
So no surprise to me that he's in the top 10. Brock Wilkin, dangerous hitter in a Wake Forest lineup. That's pretty good. Uh, he bats either third or fourth. I can't remember, but he's got some, he's got a lot of pop and, and will be in the conversation. He reminds me a bit of Jacob Barry, but he's better defensively. He can actually play third base. And then Jackson Wiggins, if you're interested in seeing him, we're going to talk about him a little bit more in a little bit. He's going to be pitching. Well, <laughs> I'm telling you to, to, that you can watch him. Uh, the, the, I'm recording this on Thursday afternoon. Arkansas and Florida play tonight. So by the time this is recorded, they will have played last night. Uh, so I can't tell you to go watch them because they they by the time you hear this, they'll have played last night. Uh, Jackson Wiggins is pitching Thursday night for Arkansas against Hunter Barco of Florida. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Will Sanders at South Carolina. They're playing Georgia this weekend. He'll get the Friday night start most likely for the Gamecocks. He's been pretty good. He shut down a pretty good Texas lineup. So a lot of guys to watch. And, of course, we'll keep you abreast of the high school uh, prospects as we learn about them. Because, again, I think there's going to be some that come out of the woodwork a little bit as they have outstanding junior campaigns and get discovered by scouts. Before we move on to the weekend preview, I want to talk about the Patreon real quick again. If you haven't signed up, you need to. Otherwise, this will be the last episode of mine you'll hear because after this week, it goes behind that paywall on Patreon. And if you sign up for $10, you're not just getting my show. You're getting Amanda and Allison's show where they're going to bring you in, an in-depth episode every week about different aspects of the game we love, including Nationals roster opinions, history lessons on lesser-known Nats and baseball facts, as well as current deep dives and more. And if you only want their show and my show, that'll cost you five, five a month. It's a cup of coffee. Still, if you're doing the $10 tier, we've also got the pickoff hosted by my good friend, Matt. If you're looking for some winners, he's going to give you some gambling picks. Each week, he's going to give you out plenty of MLB winners, and he'll look into some of the best bets of the week. He'll also include some picks from the winner, the listeners and give you a chance to give input on this week's games. He's going to have a rotating co-host as far as I know. So you might hear yours truly on there. So again, you're not just getting my show for $10. You're not just getting Amanda and Allison's show. And you're not even just getting Matt's show. If you're playing fantasy baseball, you got to sign up for our fourth show. And that's going to be hosted by Nick and CK as they talk about the fantasy baseball landscape, providing thoughts on starts, sits, ads, drops, and more. It's going to be your one-stop shop to winning your fantasy baseball league. I'm in a fantasy baseball league with the Half Street High Heat group, and it's going to be pretty fun. So again, the Patreon, $3 for one show, $5 for either mine and Amanda's and Allison's shows, or $5 for the gambling and fantasy baseball shows. Or if you're smart, you're just going to do the $10 and buy all the shows. We're going to have great content all season long. And again, I talked about it briefly at the beginning of the show. If you sign up for the Patreon and follow the instructions on the pinned tweet at Half Street High Heat on Twitter, you're going to be entered in a giveaway for Cherry Blossom merch that will include a hat or shirt of your choice. So, 
it's it's kind of a big deal. Okay, it's time for the trivia answer. At the beginning of the show, I said this pair of Georgia Tech Yellow Jack teammates played for both a NCAA national championship, made multiple MLB All-Star games, and received World Series rings from the same championship team. Ready for the answer? The answer is Red Sox Hall of Famers Jason Veritek and Nomar Garciaparra who both played for Georgia Tech in 1994 when the Yellow Jackets reached the College World Series final. Unfortunately, they lost, but then both would end up making all-star teams for the Red Sox, and they both received World Series rings for the Red Sox winning the 2004 World Series, although poor Nomar had been traded to the Cubs midway through that season and did not get to play or participate in that World Series but he did get a ring. So that's why the question was worded that way. I will keep doing the trivia questions. I hope you guys are enjoying that. But now it's on to the weekend preview. You can see an in-depth breakdown of the weekend preview on the Half Street High Heat website. All you got to do is go to halfstreethighheat.com today. That article should be up for the NCAA weekend preview. We've also got all sorts of content for the major leagues, including a major league baseball weekend preview that came out Thursday for opening day. But first, we're going to start talking about Arkansas and Florida very briefly. They start Thursday night. So by the time you guys hear this, the first game will have already happened. We're going to break it down next week because, again, it's going to include number one pitching college pitching prospect Hunter Barco, who I talked about earlier in the week, broke down his last start against Georgia. He's getting ready to go again Thursday night against Arkansas, number two Arkansas, a much more formidable lineup than even the Bulldogs have at Georgia. And I have him ranked 23rd on my big board going in my mock draft 20th to the Atlanta Braves. So he's going to be a big guy to talk about after one, after each one of his starts, because he is one of the top arms and will likely be going in the first round. Arkansas, it's going to be interesting to see how he handles that Arkansas lineup and bounces back from a gritty start against Georgia. He'll be facing big time hitters like Robert Moore and Caden Wallace and Peyton Stovall. So I'm really interested to watch that. Uh, we'll, we will break down his start this game that happens on Thursday night, so you guys will have already figured out the score. But we will break down and analyze Hunter Barco's start next week. So just wanted to bring that in there. Arkansas on the road at Florida. They're going to play a Thursday through Saturday matchup. All right, moving on. We've got three big series that I'm really going to spend time talking about. The three series we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about number 22, North Carolina, on the road at number 12, Louisville. We're going to talk about number 23, TCU, on the road at number seven, Texas. And lastly, we're going to talk about number three, Virginia, on the road, under the lights, at number eight, Miami. So those are the three big ones that we're really going to break down, we're really going to get our, our hands dirty with. 
and then I'll briefly run down some of the other matchups this week, just kind of highlighting them. But first and foremost, let's talk about North Carolina at Louisville. So I mentioned a little bit earlier that North Carolina lost Wednesday night to South Carolina 15-2. to Not great. They've been dropping a little bit in the rankings. They, uh, they got off to a hot start. They swept Pitt. They won a series at Duke to start ACC play. But since then, they got swept at Miami, and they lost two of three at home to Virginia Tech. By the way, Virginia Tech, offensive lineup, fantastic. And they are, yeah, the ACC, by the way, features five of the top eight teams in batting average nationally and four of the top eight scoring offenses. So the ACC uh, definitely making a case for being the best conference in baseball. They have seven teams ranked in the top 20 in home runs, which those are stats that I would expect from the SEC. The SEC is known for playing a little bit more big bop baseball. The ACC, though, in terms of depth, I think everyone from Virginia, Florida State, Miami, Louisville, Notre Dame, on down to Pitt, everyone basically except Boston College can beat you. And even Boston College can. I mean, Boston College went to Miami first weekend of the ACC play and beat Miami. So ACC, I think, one through 14 is deeper than the SEC. But the SEC is a little bit more top-heavy with those Tennessee – Arkansas, Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, LSU, those teams really top-heavy, but ACC very deep, very good offensively. So North Carolina got off to the hot start. But, you know, honestly, it seemed like they at the beginning of this year they got off to some big wins early. They got some signature wins against ECU, who had been ranked, I think, number 12 in the postseason poll. They lost – they got swept by Bryant in the first weekend. And then North Carolina beat, took two out of three from the next weekend. So we're thinking UNC is pretty good. They sweep Coastal Carolina, who's a decent mid-major team. Uh, shout out to Nick, who needs more teal, which is uh, Coastal Carolina's big thing, their color teal. But uh, other than that, I have not been very impressed with UNC. You know, Duke isn't the team we thought they were. They were ranked to begin the year. They're not, they're not that good. They're decent, but taking two out of three is not a huge accomplishment. It's it's expected if you're a top 25 team. Sweeping Pitt, Pitt's probably the number 13 team in the conference. You beat you beat them at home. That's kind of expected. To get swept at Miami in a pretty convincing fashion, not great. And then, of course, you lost two out of three at home to unranked Virginia Tech. So they're two and six in their last eight. And then, of course, uh, they've lost 15 to two to South Carolina, who is not very good. Uh, now, the thing with South Carolina, I say they're not very good, but they did win a series against Texas. And they have won a series or, uh, at Vanderbilt. So <laughs> it's, it's South Carolina is a little bit harder to figure out, but they overall their body of work says that they're not a very good team. And they just beat UNC 15 to two on the other side, Louisville didn't have a midweek game because that Kentucky game got postponed due to weather. They swept Notre Dame and BC to start ACC play. So just like North Carolina got off to a nice hot start. They actually, the first weekend ACC play started Louisville did not have 
an ACC matchup. So they've only got nine games versus the 12 that North Carolina has, but they swept BC and Notre Dame. And then they had Pitt, which we just talked about UNC sweeping Pitt, Pitt being the 13th ranked team in the conference, and they lost the series at Pitt. Louisville started slow. They've got some curious losses. They had some losses to South Florida, UConn, but UConn's obviously a top 25 team currently, and then Dartmouth. So, but since then, Louisville's been very good. And they're going to host North Carolina. One of the big hitters that North Carolina had when they started the season was a freshman named Vance Honeycutt. He started the season, he was hitting 414 with five home runs. And I think I was talking about him in a weekend preview on the blog, the Half Street High Heat blog, where I was talking about similar impact to North Carolina that Tommy White was having at NC State. So that's uh, that's kind of what I'm I'm bringing this up because Vance Honeycutt was looking like an impact freshman. So now on the season, though, he's hitting 259 with 42 strikeouts. He does have eight home runs now, so he's added three more home runs in that time, but not having the impact he'd like. But you could see from the early on before ACC play started that he could have some potential as he continues to develop and get more consistent and adjust because it looks like as the ACC play started, he has struggled mightily facing some top-tier opponents. So for the pitching staff with uh, North Carolina, we've got some TBDs in there. I, I'm assuming that Max Carlson, who's been their best starting pitcher, he's, he's going to go Friday night on ACC Network. He's one and one with a 2.36 ERA. And then the other guy who often starts on Friday nights is Brandon Schaefer, but Brandon Schaefer pitched two innings on Wednesday. So I'm imagining that Brandon Schaefer is going to start on Sunday. Now the problem with that is, is I have no idea who's going to start on Saturday because the, the guy, the other guys that start is Gage Gillian and uh, uh, Shadden Peavy house. And neither of those guys could be available because they both pitched on Wednesday as well. So who knows? Uh, I imagine they might do bullpen games. So those guys could pitch who knows. I've just got it as TBD on Saturday. So Pitching, eh. So, but Max Carlson only has 26 and two-thirds innings pitched. I'd like to see him go a little bit deeper into games. Brandon Schaefer, he has made two relief appearances, so he's got a little bit more innings pitched, but they're getting pulled early. But on the other side, let's talk about Louisville's pitching. Tate Kuhner will get the start on Friday night. He's four and one with a 3.51 ERA. And he, actually, it's funny that he's the Friday night starter because he's actually going to be their worst uh, of the three starting pitchers for Louisville. Jared Poland, the senior, he's going to get the start on Saturday, most likely. He's two and one in seven games with a 2.53 ERA. And then the lefty on Sunday, the sophomore Riley Phillips, he's three and one with a 2.68 ERA in seven games for the Cardinals. So 
pretty good pitching staff. I'm going to give advantage Louisville, as good as Max Carlson is. Brandon Schaefer pitching again. We're not sure who's pitching on Saturday. Bullpen game, maybe. And you've got pretty good pitching from Louisville. They're at home pitching. I'm going to give them advantage. But the the big star for the for the Cardinals is their closer, Michael Prosecchi. He's a junior lefty. In 11 games, he's uh, got one win, zero losses, six saves, a 1.72 ERA, and he's uh, got 23 Ks in 15 and two-thirds innings. So he is the big-time reliever for the Cardinals. When they get a lead, he's going to come in and shut the door. But it's time to talk about Louisville's offense, and they have a fantastic one through five, starting with the number 118 ranked prospect in Baseball America's top 150 college players. That's shortstop Christian Napsik. He's the leadoff guy. Batting uh, second, third baseman, Ben Metzinger. So that one-two punch right there is, is lethal. They've, they've both got OPSs over 1.000. Uh, Metzinger has 12 home runs. He's eight for eight with stolen bases. He's hitting 348, having a monster year, batting second. Napsik, he's hitting 355, and he's got a OBP of 496. So he's getting on base almost half the time, which uh, for a leadoff hitter is, is about the best thing you could ask for. And that's probably being a, playing a big factor on Metzinger hitting so well as, as well. And, and, Napsic is also 14 of 16 on stolen bases, but here's the thing I really love as a leadoff hitter. Napsic has 22 walks to just 11 strikeouts. Metzinger also walks more than he strikes out, 27 to 23. So those two guys, a good one, two at the top of the lineup, which would be formidable enough, but then they've got Cameron Masterman, who is coming to his own as a fifth-year senior. He's batting 351. He's got no PS over one. He's got a 1.106, eight doubles, nine homers, 32 RBIs. He does strike out a bunch. He's got 30 Ks, but he's been a big bat in the middle of that Cardinals order. And then uh, the big catcher slash first baseman, Dalton Rushing, batting cleanup. He's only batting 289, but his OBP is 476 because he's walked 26 times. He's got seven doubles, eight home runs. He's sharing the catching duties with uh, sophomore Jack Payton, who's batting fifth, who leads the team in hitting with 400. And he has a 991 OPS. So of the guys that I just mentioned, Jack Payton's the only one with an uh, OPS under 1.000. He's got a .991 OPS. And that's a little bit because he's not hitting for a lot of power uh, in terms of home runs but he has 10 doubles so he's getting that gap power he's only walked eight times but he's only struck out 12 times so again pretty good stuff from louisville's one through five just outstanding i expect them to have a big series i think louisville could sweep here i wouldn't be surprised if they swept but knowing that they dropped two out of three to pit makes me a little weary So I'm going to say Louisville takes two out of three at home. I would not be surprised with a sweep. Moving along to TCU and Texas. 
So Texas, massive come from behind win last week. And I talked about it earlier in the week on the first episode of the podcast. They won that series against Oklahoma. It was a critical series to win because if they don't win that series, they've started big 12 play with back-to-back series losses. And they were down seven to one. They come back and win that game. They beat Texas Rio Grande Valley midweek, 13 to five. So they're looking pretty good. They got some momentum heading into this home series against Texas Christian. They've only lost twice at home all year. TCU, their momentum's kind of going the other way. They're a little bit lucky to be ranked, to be honest, after they dropped two of three at home to West Virginia last weekend. They did win big against UT Arlington midweek with a 10-2 win. They're 6-3 and three in the Big 12 because they got to start the conference play a little bit early. So they've got a decent start in conference play. But they're they're not looking too good to me. They got they – got, I can't remember if they lost the series or got swept when they went to Kentucky. I think they lost the series two out of three to Kentucky. I'm just not convinced by the Horned Frogs right now. The pitching staff – uh, their big, their big pitcher, Austin Krobe, he's number 85 on Baseball America's top 150 college players. He has struggled mightily. He's got a 4.76 ERA and four starts. He's not getting the, the ball to start much anymore. Their weekend rotation is going to feature Riley Cornelio, Marcelo Perez, and Brett Walker. Now, Cornelio and Perez, they've got pretty good numbers. They're going to be tested in this series against Texas uh, at Texas in Austin. Uh, And Brent Walker, the Sunday starter, he's got an ERA near five. So he's going to have some – it's going to be interesting because if they drop the first two games of this series and you've got Brent Walker on the mound on Sunday and he's he's going to have a really short leash, I would imagine, because TCU cannot afford to be swept in this series. So it'll be interesting to see how the, the series plays out and how they handle Brett Walker on Sunday if he struggles against the Longhorns. Now, hitting-wise, they've got a pretty good trio of hitters. Tommy Sacco leads the team with a .352 batting average, and then Braden Taylor and David Bishop, they're hitting .327. Taylor and Sacco are the only ones with an OPS over one. Uh, and Sacco has five home runs. Taylor has four. Bishop has five. He's got a nine point or a point nine three three OPS. Uh, Braden Taylor is the big star for the TCU Horned Frogs in the middle of that lineup. He's got a uh, thirty-five to I think nineteen strikeout rate. So he's walking a ton. He is got an OBP of. <laughs> He does have an OBP of uh, 500, so he is he is seeing the ball well. He's got a great plate discipline, and he is going to be on base once out of every every two times. So he's the big name to think of on the lineup now. Elijah Nunez is the is the leadoff guy, I believe. He's 17 of 17 on st- stolen base attempts, so he's somebody to look out for on the base paths. But what I really want to talk about is Texas, and people know. I really want to talk about Texas a lot because to me, this was the clear number one team in the country on, you know, on March 6th or whatever it was when uh, Tanner Witt was pulled against UCLA. 
They had just beaten LSU and Tennessee back-to-back nights and, and thoroughly dominating pitching performances from Pete Hansen and Tristan Stevens. And you were going to have number, you know, the number one pitching prospect of 2023 on the mound in game three. And unfortunately that didn't happen. So since then, Texas is just 11 and nine. Uh, since that Tanner Witt uh, decision when he was pulled due to injury and they made it sound like it was precautionary. Ultimately he needed Tommy John surgery. He's out for the rest of this season and likely much of next season. Now it's interesting. They are 11, nine since then, even though Lucas Gordon, who has been the, who has been the fill in starter has pitched really well. So I'm wondering what kind of psychological effect losing Tanner Witt has had, or if it's, you know, just, it doesn't correlate at all. And I'm just making stuff up. The other thing I like to talk about with Texas is Ivan Melendez, the Hispanic Titanic, right? You guys, if you guys follow me on Twitter, you know, I love tweeting about his home runs. He has matched his last season total of 13 home runs, which is tied for second in the nation. Texas as a whole, they hit with a ton of power. They've already got 50 home runs. And the other really cool stat about their offense is that 41% of their RBIs, so just, just under 50% of their RBIs this season has come with two outs. And I love me some two-out hitting. Just thought that was an interesting stat. And now I'm going to quickly talk about the Texas pitching staff here. Pete Hansen. Dazzled versus Oklahoma last Friday. Yet he he's going to look to build on that now. He's got 52 strikeouts, just eight walks. He went eight innings last weekend against Oklahoma with 12 strikeouts. So TCU's lineup is going to be is going to be heavily heavily challenged here by the lefty Pete Hansen. Tristan Stevens, I just mentioned him and how he performed against LSU at the Shriners College Classic in Houston in early March. He started off really, really well, and then he had a really bad start against Texas Tech two weeks ago. Seven earned runs on five hits with uh, two walks, and he didn't even record an out. So there was a little concern about him, but then he bounces back well last weekend on Saturday. Even though they lose that game to Oklahoma, he went six in the third, uh, only gave up two earned runs, uh, so that was a much, much bigger deal, even though they lost that game, is to, to make sure Tristan Stevens is okay after getting rocked against Texas Tech two weeks ago. So they're looking to get him back on track. And then Lucas Gordon, the sophomore lefty who has been outstanding in relief of Tanner Witt, he's been really good, actually. Uh, and again, I, I mentioned that stat where they're 11-9, and nine, and it has nothing to do with Lucas Gordon who's been really good. His best start, uh, he had two really good starts back-to-back against Incarnate Word, where he went seven shutout innings. Again, it's an Incarnate Word. I don't know exactly who they are or even if they're a Division One baseball team. I believe they are, but that's not quite as impressive as what he did against Texas Tech, where he held them to just one run in six innings with seven Ks and only allowed one extra base hit. And it's even bigger when you realize they had dropped the first two games of that series, if you recall, two weeks ago, Texas Tech walk off a walk off steal of home to beat them on Friday night, and then a walk off grand slam by the same shortstop 
the next night on Saturday. So Texas is down 0-2 with their two best pitchers already burned, and they've got Lucas Gordon who has to come in and be the stopper and avoid the sweep because a sweep in Texas could have been ca- catastrophic for that fan base. Cause they're, they're a pretty baseball obsessed group. So uh, having being swept by Texas tech would have been a disaster. Lucas Gordon comes in six innings, one earned run helps them avoid the sweep. His le- it's funny we mentioned that Texas Tech because then last weekend was actually his worst start. He only gave up four earned runs, but it was in three and two-thirds innings against Oklahoma. They would ultimately uh, come back and win that game. That was the game that I've talked about where they were down seven to one. They come back and win. Again, if you if you followed me on Twitter, you know that my the two big guys I like to talk about at Texas is Ivan Melendez. He's going to bat third, be the first baseman, the Hispanic Titanic. He's shooting up draft boards. Trey Faltini, the shortstop, he's been moved into the leadoff position after batting at the bottom of the order. Love Trey Faltini. He's one of my favorites, Uh, especially he's got 10 home runs now this season. And in his career, I think he only had six (laughs) before this season. Skyler Messenger, he's uh, come over, transfer from Kansas. He's been big for them at third base. Silas Ardone, he doesn't have a whole lot uh, of offensive highlights, but defensively he has got a cannon. So a lot to love about this Texas lineup. I expect them to to figure it out and come back and win the Big 12. Oklahoma State's going to be a tough, tough sell for them. But Texas, they could be lethal in, in the postseason. Because, again, I thought they were the clear number one team in the country with that pitching staff and the lineup. And I didn't even talk about Aaron Nixon, their closer, who's an All-American. So lots to love if you're a Texas fan. I think Texas takes all three games against TCU this weekend. I'm going to call it sweep, sweep, sweep. Texas Longhorns get to 6-3 and three in the Big 12. All right. Last thing we're going to talk about before we do the brief rundown of the other games, UVA and Miami. Lots to talk about with Miami. Now, Miami's pitching staff is pretty good. Carson Palmquist, he's number 21 on uh, Baseball America's top college players, uh, the top 150. He's number 49 on my big board. He was the closer as a freshman last season. As an All-American, he was a consensus between first and third teams. So very good pitcher. He's now their Friday night starter. He hasn't been quite as good this season in that role. Uh, in, 20, in, in 2020, the abbreviated 2020 and the 2021 season last year, he had 90 Ks versus 13 walks as a reliever. So in 56.1 innings as a reliever, 13 walks, pretty good. In 36 innings as a starter this year, 15 walks, just 56 Ks. Uh, so he's walking a lot more guys and not quite as good as he was as a closer. That's not necessarily a surprise because, you know, you're, the, the hitters are seeing you a lot more. Carson, uh, I don't want to butcher his name, but uh, Ligon, Ligon, <laughs> he's a freshman. For Miami, he's he's been their best pitcher. Four and one, 
1.45 ERA. His worst start against was against UNC. He only gave up two earned runs. <laughs> so, you know, he's been their best best uh, starter by far. And then Alejandro Rosario, who's another guy who's listed in the Baseball America top 150 college players, he's been very disappointed. Uh, disappointing. He made 11 starts to true freshman, was okay, showed a lot of, you know, potential. But this year he's started four games and he lost his spot in the rotation uh, after two starts. The first two starts of the year against Towson and, and Harvard, he gave up five earned runs in each of those games to Towson and Harvard. Harvard. If Allison's listening, Harvard. No. Um, so he loses his spot in the rotation. Then he goes to the, uh, a reliever and he appears in games against uh, Central Florida and Clemson. And then he, you know, he promptly gives 10 earned runs up in five and a third innings. And somehow that gets him back into the rotation, uh, which surprisingly, I don't know what they did, but you wouldn't think he earned a spot back in the rotation, but he's been decent since he, he returned uh, in that sweep against Duke, or excuse me, against UNC in that series win against Duke. He went five innings against UNC, two earned runs, and then against Duke, six innings, one earned run. So he's bounced back, but he has an ERA of 8.17. It's curious because I don't know what's wrong with uh, another freshman, Jake Garland, who's also been really good this year. He's dazzled with a 5-1 five, uh, five record and seven starts and a 2.17 ERA. I'm not sure why Rosario is getting the nod over him. And then, you know... Alex McFarland has been disappointing. He's number 119 on uh, the Baseball America's top 150. So, you know, not sure here. So that's the pitching staff that we're looking at for Miami. So uh, initially I was looking a little concerned for Virginia as they're running into this pitching staff. Now, keep in mind, Miami is red hot. They have won 10 in a row. They just played Tuesday and Wednesday. They got both W's. And then, of course, they swept UNC and Duke in recent weeks. So they're red hot. They are ahead of UVA in the ACC standings. They are 10-2. and two. UVA is 9-3. and three. So you've got a red hot team going up against the number three team in the nation at home under the lights on Friday and Saturday night. So it's going to be pretty fun. It's going to, the, the thing we're going to love is, is that Miami pitching staff versus that UVA lineup that I talked about a little bit earlier, and I'll talk more about it in a second. But – for Miami, their their main hitters is going to be uh, third baseman uh, Yoandy Morales, CJ Kafis, Dominique Patelli, their shortstop, and their outfielder. He's a five hitter, Jacob Burke. So big time guys, but they don't quite compare to what's on the other side there. Uh, to go to look at the offensive comparison ranks here, batting average, by the way, UVA is first in the country in these categories, not just in the ACC, but in the country. And uh, I will be talking about the ACC rankings as well, but they're first in batting average in the country. They are first in the country in on-base percentage. They're 13th in the country in home runs, but they're fifth in the ACC. 
They're fourth in the country in slugging, but third in the ACC. They're first in the country in runs. And they are second in the ACC in stolen bases and second in the ACC with a not, uh, uh, 0.983 fielding percentage. On the flip side, these are ACC ranks for Miami. They are seventh in batting average, eighth in on-base percentage, fifth in runs, 11th in slugging, and 12th in home runs. On the flip side, the ACC ranks for pitching for Miami. They're sixth in ERA. So I talked about how their pitching staff so great, but they're sixth in ERA. They're seventh in walks. They are third in base uh, uh, batting average against with a .203 batting average against, and they're fourth in strikeouts. But Virginia is really, really good on the flip side. They lead the conference in ERA batting average against uh, opposing teams are hitting just 198 against the who's and their second in strikeouts with 331. And in terms of walks, they are the third lowest in the conference with just 104. So on paper, Virginia looks very, very good, but again, Miami poised to do some damage. It'll be interesting to see if uh, Nate Savino can get back on track. He got roughed up a little bit in the uh, last weekend against Georgia Tech, but Georgia Tech roughs up everybody. I expect Savino to pitch Friday night and pitch well. Brian Gursky, the graduate student, he's actually been UVA's best pitcher. He pitches on Saturday, and I believe they're going to go with Jake Barry, who's emerged as the three-starter taking over for Brandon Neek, who struggled in that role. And Barry has been very good. He started in relief uh, uh of Brian Gursky when he got sick a couple weeks ago against Wake Forest. And then he was pretty good against Georgia Tech on the Sunday finale last weekend. Uh, the main the main relievers for UVA is going to be uh, Geardes, Bowers, Wolfuck, Buchanan, and uh, Brandon Meek. Uh, Matt Wyatt, he's supposed to be the UVA closer, but he's only had six appearances. He struggled to a 4.32 ERA. The juniors struggled a little bit, but hopefully we see a lot more success from him. But Virginia is looking really good, really good, like the third team in the country. I'm pretty pleased watching them. It's going to be exciting to watch them against Miami under the lights, top 10 matchup, number three versus number eight. And that's what college baseball is all about. All right, let's do a quick rundown in the SEC, the other games, LSU. They've struggled at home. They've lost two series in the SEC at home. They have won an SEC road series at Florida, but now they're going to the defending national champions, Mississippi State, and they'll see how they do on that road series. they got to get things figured out. They're down to number 19 in the country. Missouri goes to number one, Tennessee. Number 14, Georgia goes to South Carolina. Alabama goes to number nine, Ole Miss. And then Vanderbilt looks to rebound from their sweep to Tennessee last weekend by heading to Auburn, who's been one of the surprise teams in the SEC West, getting out to a 5-4 and four conference record. The other matchups in the ACC to look at, number 20 FSU. They had a rough week last week, getting swept by Notre Dame and losing to Florida in the midweek before that. They have bounced back with a midweek win over Jacksonville this week. Actually, it might have been Stetson, but they had to get a walk-off in that game. They're headed to Atlanta to take on Georgia Tech, who, as we know, Georgia Tech, that's going to be a fun matchup with that lineup versus Parker Messick and Bryce Hubbard, the two lethal lefties for Florida State. 
that will start on Friday and Saturday. Clemson, who just beat Georgia 4-3 midweek, they're headed to South Bend, Indiana to take on Notre Dame, who is fresh off a midweek win over Butler and a sweep last weekend of Florida State. And then the final game we're going to highlight for the ACC, number 21 NC State on the road in Blacksburg at Virginia Tech. And that's going to be a fun matchup to look at because Virginia Tech very quietly, one of the best offensive teams in the country. I imagine if they win this series, they're going to be ranked next week. Moving along, Big 12, got Oklahoma. At number six, Oklahoma State, I believe the football game is uh, Bedlam. So we'll hope the baseball series is Bedlam. I believe that one of those games is going to be on ESPNU. I want to say Saturday or Sunday. And then Texas Tech, after getting swept by Grand Canyon in the middle of the week, they're headed to Kansas State. They're going to want to get back on track. And even if they win the series, they're going to be looking at a two and three week. The, the only way they finish the week with a winning record in the week is if they sweep Kansas State to finish three and two. Pac-12, number 15, UCLA. They're on the road at Utah. Washington State is at number 11, Arizona. And then number five, Oregon State is on the road at USC, looking to rebound from that Stanford loss, series loss. And then Arizona State, who took care of business against their in-state rival Arizona midweek, they're going to head to Stanford, who I just don't know what to make of the Stanford Cardinal. But, you know, that's what the podcast is for. I guess we'll talk it out. So those are the big matchups around the country this weekend. It's going to be a fun one. Uh, We'll be back on Tuesday with a recap of the weekend games. And we're going to talk about the six through 10 picks of the MLB draft. We talked about the one through five picks just the other day. We're going to move on to the six through 10 MLB draft picks and where those guys are going to go. Who's going to be available You can follow me on Twitter at Monty2740. You can follow Half Street High Heat at Half Street High Heat. Don't forget, if you want to keep listening to my show, you need to sign up for the Patreon. It's going to be $3 just for my show, $5 for my show, and Amanda and Allison's show, Pitch Perfect. And it's $10 for all four shows. So sign up for Patreon. Let's talk college baseball. Let's have a great weekend of college baseball and Major League Baseball. And until Tuesday, I will see you then. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.